Hey now, good day and welcome to Growing Your Successful Business. Thanks for listening. This is a podcast where you get to learn from the experience of the other entrepreneurs and critical industry experts. Um, just a reminder for those of you watching on Facebook, this will be our last time publishing our episode on Facebook. Um, starting next week, we will only be available on uh, podcast outlets like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Stitcher, Breaker, blah 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 There's a whole bunch of those <laughs> out there. But it's going to be an audio-only format starting next week. Um, don't be afraid to subscribe to that, uh, share, review, rate, all that good stuff that uh, goes along with those podcast deals. I want to take a quick moment here and uh, just say thanks again to BD Local and especially Sadie for helping me get off the ground with this. Uh, Sadie has been an absolute blessing to work with. Um, if you're interested in doing a podcast of your own, uh, I would definitely recommend uh, reaching out to these folks. Um, they've been super helpful to me, and I'm going to miss working with them. Um, for a variety of reasons, uh, going to an audio-only format works uh, better for me, and uh, so that's why I'm making that change. Um, you can find my information at growingyoursuccessfulbusiness.com or brianlharding.com. Uh, you'll find the links to all the different podcasting outlets I mentioned there. Uh, you can also find, uh, or you can also email me at brian at brianlharding.com if you have any questions or suggestions for the show or kind of guests you'd like to have on or questions you would like to hear me start asking folks as they come on. Um, today we're very fortunate. We've got Dave Parkhurst here. Uh, Dave owned or has owned about nine businesses. Um, and I'll read his bio here real quick. As a geek addicted to Star Trek in the 1970s who studied computer science in high school and college in the 1980s, Dave started selling computers in 1984 in Tacoma. After working with local computer stores, Dave focused on selling and managing sales teams for Apple Computer from 1991 to 2005. And along the way, Dave bought or started several computer companies, including Greenhaven Interactive, which is where he's at now. And um, currently, Dave owns only two companies, only two, um, <laughs> plus some rental uh, real estate and uh, lives on a family farm in Graham. And uh, Greenhaven Interactive is who Dave is here uh, uh, representing today. Uh, Greenhaven Interactive started in 1994 as one of the first digital marketing companies in the Northwest. From building websites in the early 1990s with a uh, staff of two to the current team of 14 experts in all aspects of digital marketing, uh, Greenhaven helps organizations succeed with websites, social media, search engine optimization, and advertising and reputation management, just to mention a few. Uh, Greenhaven's unique approach to high-tech, high-touch, personalized service makes them stand out in the high-tech Northwest. They have a very cool tagline, too, which is, you're amazing and we want the world to know it. I think that's a fantastic tagline. So Thanks, thank Brian. Welcome, Dave. Uh, you can find them at greenhaveninteractive.com, or you can reach Dave at 253-906-2705. And so you've owned all together, we were counting before we started recording here, nine businesses. Is that right? Nine businesses. And they run the gamut from IT to storage and all kinds of stuff, right? Dry cleaning, <laughs> uh, flooring. I'm kind of a serial entrepreneur. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to work on that addiction. Yeah, so uh, for those of you listening, uh, this should be uh, a good chance for you to get some insight from a guy who's had a bunch of different businesses, and they've started in different ways. Uh, he's purchased some. He started some from scratch. They've ended in different ways. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit as well. Um, so as I mentioned, you started some from scratch, and you've purchased others. Uh, do you have a preference on how you get started? Well, I actually like to um, create it from scratch, honestly, Brian, because then you have – 
control over over all the as for better or for worse you have control over all the aspects of the business i i had thought that it would probably be be better to buy some uh, and experimented with that for a while and that was okay but i th i think it preferentially i would rather start it from scratch yeah, I, I, I often uh, consider what it would be like to purchase a business, even in a similar industry to what uh, I've been accustomed to in my career. And I wonder just culturally how you would make that adaptation into what your vision is versus what they've known for 15 years or six years or whatever. That's got to be a massive challenge to overcome that. that. That was really the hardest part of each one of the businesses that I purchased over the years is because is you always inherit employees because a right. business is essentially it's, a, it's employees. I mean, right. you, can, you can buy a building, you can buy inventory and assets and this type of thing, but really what you're buying is a team. Right. And, you know, you try to do the interviews and things to understand whether that team is going to mesh with your vision or not. Uh, but it, it's it, – it's been a hard, hard lesson to learn that sometimes the the history behind that uh, takes a long time to get caught up with. Right, and I, you know it's it's funny you mentioned that. Um, one of the things I I preach all the time to folks, whether they want to hear it or not, uh, usually probably not. But <laughs> um, you know, and you and I were talking about this just a few minutes ago before we started recording here. Um, people when they have businesses, start businesses, buy businesses, they they focus on their widget. Right, and they don't understand that the team is the business. Absolutely. It, it, Nothing else matters if you don't have that part hammered out. Exactly. Um, and I, I just, I, for folks listening, I would uh, implore you to, to really take note of that and, you know, focus way more on your personnel and those relationships than you focus on your widget. Uh, just, you know. Absolutely. Uh, your team will make or break you, you know, especially if you're a control person who has some knowledge about something. You go into business to do that thing you know about. Right. But then you can't do it all as a business owner. You know right. as a business owner, you right. can't do it all. So you have to be able to trust people, empower people, yeah. and, and realize that you're not going to do everything. It's, it's funny, and this is way off topic from what you and I prepared for, but I, I just wanted to throw this out there. It's funny, people who start their own businesses oftentimes uh, like to be in charge. Oh, yeah, 100%. The reality <laughs> of running a business, though, is you are the least in charge. Your exactly. customers are in charge, and your employees are in charge. Your, you need your customers way more than they need you, Absolutely. and you need your employees way more than they need you. Yep. So people who want to be in charge start a business, and then they end up ultimately not being in charge of anything. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, pe yeah. People tell me they probably tell you, "Oh, you own your own business. You can do what you want." I said, "No. no. I, I have I have 150 bosses. Bosses. Right. I just don't have one anymore. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. So uh, uh, for those of you listening who may want to start a business, I would really take the time to consider that. I mean, of course, you're gonna make decisions. You're yeah. gonna you're gonna you're gonna put out ideas and philosophies and procedures and things like that. Um, but you are not in charge. Right, exactly, exactly <laughs> right. The, the myth of, of the business owner, right? Right. So, uh, you know, I'll get, I'll get back on topic here with what we, uh, what we planned here. Um, so you still own some. What happened yeah. to the others? So you owned nine off yep. throughout the years, and now you have two. Is that right? Yeah, I've got two plus a little bit of rental so property. So you got seven that went somewhere. Yeah. What, what happened with those? <laughs> they went in a variety of different places. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, well, one of the things that I learned was, you know, you can't have – too many things to occupy your time, even though everybody else does actually accomplish the work of the business, you still have to be able to kind of keep your hand on the rudder of the business. Right. And so at one point, I had four different businesses. I'd purchased three in uh, in a period of two years, and then I had Greenhaven, which I started in 1994. 
and so I, I learned very quickly that if everything goes exactly right in the way I planned, then I could control all four businesses. Right. But then things tend to come up that are outside of my plan, strangely right. enough. Yeah, oddly the, enough. The, yeah. the universe doesn't unfold exactly the way that right. I want it to all the time. I'm not sure why that is, but, you know, it is what it is. Right. So um, some of the things that happened is uh, things that I didn't plan for is I had a, a flooring business in Chehalis, which was wonderful. It was a great business. I bought it doing $1.8 million of annual revenue. We grew it to $3.8 million. We nice. Ahead of the industry averages on net profits who are feeling really good. Right. And then in, uh, and I know this date by heart, and I will, it will go with me till the day I die, December 4th, 2007, in Chehalis, there was a massive flood. Mm -hmm. uh, the building that I owned, which was a wonderful investment when I bought it, mm -hmm. was at the epicenter of this flood. Uh, and so it took us about six months from, 2000, from December of 2007 to about mid-2008 to kind of process that recovery. And, of course, we lost some business in that. September of 2008, just as we were done recovering from that, uh, a the recession started. Right. I hadn't planned on a recession, Brian. Right, <laughs> it was, right, right. It was, nobody consulted me on this beforehand. So, And a bunch of our business was in the um, home builder market, which then, you know, died off really, really quickly. Right. And these floods were supposed to be separated by about 100 years, according to the smart people who manage and yeah. know what floods right, happened. Right, right. There had been one in 96, then one in 2007, 20 years, so I hadn't expected that. And then there was another one in January of 2009. Unfortunately, separated by 14 months from the previous flood, supposed to be 100 years. Right. And th so that business quickly became not very viable. Right. And it, it took me a while to learn that uh, sometimes you got to you got to cut and run. You got to be done. You got to close it up. And so that that so, ended that one. So um, was insurance a help at all or not? Or, or did, did that? It was a partial help. Insurance, yeah. well, first of all, it was a battle, of course, because, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we, we did the whole thing and FEMA was involved and I, and I learned all sorts of things about FEMA and, mm -hmm. and flood insurance that I yeah. never really wanted to know. Right. Uh, it, it took us about six months to actually get an insurance payment. And the uh, note holder, one of the banks on the on the building, wanted me to send them the check, and they were just going to apply the check to the, uh, right. to the to the mortgage. And I said, you know, I'm not sure how I can survive doing that. So, yeah. you know, we went to battle with them yeah, a little you're, bit. You're not the only one I owe money to. Yeah, exactly. I said, you know, there's there's like I got to pay my employees, and there's some other things that have to happen here. Right. Uh, so insurance was a help. Uh, but it wasn't enough to really recover. And an attorney told me, he says, Dave, why are you trying to save this thing? I said, well, because, hmm. And it turned out that, you know, the, the recovery on that was going to take far longer. The recovery on the recession was going to take far longer. And so we bankrupted that business. And right. I learned lots of, of lessons about the legal system in the same time. Sure, sure. I saw an interesting thing uh, that our banker, Paul Long, who's been on a few times, put out. The average millionaire has filed bankruptcy like 3.7 times or oh, something sure. like that. Oh, <laughs> sure. Sure, yeah. It, it's one of those American myths that you just go up and up and up and up. And yeah. it doesn't happen that way. You go up and down and up right. and down. That's, you know, been rich, been poor, been yeah. every place in between. So, uh, again, for those listening, if nobody else has told you this, uh, we've been on a nice wave of, of good economy and, mm -hmm. and people spending money, you know, frivolously in some cases. But they have, <laughs> everybody has a lot of money to spend right yeah. now. Um, this is going to stop. It will it stop. It could stop in six months. It yep. could stop in six years. It yep. could stop in eight years. But it's going to stop. Oh, so yeah. uh, I would recommend you not learn this the way Dave learned it. And, yes, and, uh, <laughs> exactly. And <laughs> start creating plans now for when things slow down and what are you going to do. Absolutely. Uh, and that's been kind of a recurring theme for folks who have been in business for a long time. Uh, Mark Anderson was in a few weeks ago, and he, you know, he owned a business for 40 years. He went through four recessions. Yeah. Uh, or six or something like that. It was it was a lot. Um, 
anyhow, for, again, for those listening, uh, the, the, this isn't uh, a miraculous time in history where this is not going to end. Yeah, <laughs> it, things go up and things go down. That's just right. the nature of, of economies. So what got you started with your entrepreneurial spirit, then, it sounds like, is uh, your parents um, yeah. supporting you and letting you play with all the cool gadgets and stuff like that. Uh, talk about that a little bit. How, 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 what do you mean by that, your parents supporting you? Well, you know, so I remember with my first technological device, which was a cassette recorder, sitting in front of a TV in 1968, the last year the Star Trek was on the air, right. and recording it. And so, and I, you know, from that moment forward, I, I joke these days, my next car is going to be a starship, you know. I, yeah. I'm just a geek. I, I like technology things. And so my folks were always very supportive of that. They bought me the first TRS-80 Model 3 in the city of Tacoma that was sold here. It's funny. I was... When I, when I saw your notes about the uh, early technology, I was going to bring up, I had a, a TRS-80 color computer, too. Oh, yeah. And I remember when my mom bought it from uh, Radio Shack. Yep. She brought it home, and uh, I tried to do a very simple mathematical equation, and it couldn't figure out division. <laughs> so we had, to, we had to take it back and get the next model up because the one I got, it couldn't do division. You were just plus and minus at that <laughs> point, yeah. Oh, I, w I went through that whole set of things, uh, tiny little screens and playing yeah. games on those, and and so my folks were always very supportive of that, and they were always very supportive of my um, you know, my need for money. So, right. and by that I mean going out and selling seeds, selling magazine subscriptions, uh, you know, going to the beach and collecting tin cans or aluminum cans when those were brand new and recycling those. So, right. my folks always supported me in that. In fact, Greenhaven, the name Greenhaven, came from my mom's mail order business. Uh, back in the in the mid '80s, she had a a, a little uh, mail order business she called Greenhaven, right. and it was based on where we lived in Stillicum and a little you know green patch there. So to honor her, I made nice. the name of my business Greenhaven. Very cool. And and then throughout high school, it sounds like you were busy selling magazines, and you mentioned seeds and DJ services, oh, yeah. and and. Uh, um, so you, you had a good work ethic early on. Oh, yeah. I, I was it, always very driven. And it sounds like it's driven by a financial gain. Is that is that accurate? Pretty much. But, you know, really, I think a lot of times you get into business because uh, you, you want a little bit of control over your life and because you think you can do it better. So, right. so part of it's finances and part of it is just a, a drive to succeed. So yeah. I, I think it's a combination of those I, things. I think that you're absolutely right. For me personally and my partners when we started our business, it was exactly those two things. Yeah. We knew we could do it better than people we had been working for. Right. And we wanted the, the financial benefit that came along with it. Yep. That was absolutely those are two drivers, no question. Absolutely. Um, and so you had a, a good work ethic. And I think that this is one of the things that people on the outside looking in for people who are successful in business, I think this is one of the things they diminish the most is right. hard work. Right. Um, it It's not easy to get started. I mean, uh, I oh remember no. for us specifically, it, it was uh, probably a good two, three years uh, working seven days a week for sure. I mean, once in a while, taking a weekend or, or, or half a weekend. Right. Um, and, you know, we're in a 24-7 business. So yeah. on call, I mean, I remember the old days, the schedule was um, I would be on call for 20 days in a row. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, again, we didn't have a lot of customers, so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like the phone was ringing off the hook. But still, I, c I couldn't do anything. I couldn't yeah. go to the movies with my kids. I couldn't I couldn't leave my phone at home. And, and it sounds like you've gone through similar things. And, again, I just think for folks looking on the outside, when – they see people who are successful, 
they always discount that part that you have to really right. bust your ass to get there. Yeah, you you do not become successful in small business in any business without a huge commitment and without a lot of sacrifices. Uh, and you do sacrifice time. Time. You know, you sacrifice sure. time with your family. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you need to count the cost before you go into business because you you're not going to go in and, and start at nine and end at five. No. I mean, even after the number of years that you and I have been in business, it's not a nine to five thing. No. I mean, I got to check email. I got to do work over the weekends. Yeah. And I mean, it's worth it. It's right. worth it for the for the personal satisfaction. Sure, sure, sure. And then you you worked for Apple mm-hmm. when everybody thought Apple was going to go out of business. Yes. <laughs> and meanwhile, you're accumulating stock at a super low price. Yep. Um, which later obviously paid off big time. Yeah. And I think this is a piece that business owners, from internally looking at what their success is, that they discount, which is good luck. Oh, absolutely. You had some great luck here. You got Apple stock at a at a bargain basement price. Exactly. And all of a sudden, boom, the iPhone comes out or whatever happens, and they take off the MacBook, whatever it was that, that led that surge. Right. And boom, now, you've, now you're flush with cash that you had zero impact on. Exactly. Just completely lucky. It was good timing. And, I, and I, I, for again, talking to a number of people who own their own businesses and have had success, I don't ever hear them talk about luck. <laughs> you're right. But, but even if you look at big businesses and success, it, you know, Bill Gates is a, is a super smart guy. I could never right. take anything away from him. But he came along at just the, just right, the right time, time. Yep. for his skill set to right. be uh, applicable to make a multi-billion dollar company. Same right. thing with jobs. Yeah. You got to have all of those things. You got to you, Now, you can't generate luck, right? You're right. either lucky or you're not. Right. And sometimes you're lucky and then you're unlucky and then you're lucky again. I right. mean, my experience is. Sure. Uh, but yeah, I had a lot of luck in being at Apple at the right time, accumulating stock when everybody said beleaguered computer maker apple computer when right, michael right, dell right. of dell computer said they're going to go out of business uh, and that's worked well for me right um and, and you know, i just i think it's funny that uh uh after talking to a number of people in various degrees of, of success and and oh my goodness what am i going to do um luck just never seems to come up for the person internally it's it's really interesting i, I find that really curious that uh that part is discounted and and for us you know, luck has been critical. I mean, yeah. I, c- I can look back on a handful of things that just should not have happened the way they happened. Yeah. Yeah. It was a one in a billion chance that it would have worked out that way. And those were key things that we would not have had any kind of success after that or the level of success we had if those key things hadn't have happened. That, yeah. Well, and you know, Brian, luck does not support one of the key attributes that you and I and every business owner has to have, and that is a strong degree of self-confidence. Or ego, yeah. Uh, or ego, yeah. Okay, <laughs> let's just put it on the table. Ego. Yeah, yeah. you got to have some ego, and luck doesn't feed an ego, so right. we don't talk about it too right, much. Right, so. right, right. But now you let the cat out of the bag. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Sorry for all the all the multimillionaires out there. Uh, um, that's, that is a component. Um, and then you developed a background in sales and marketing, yeah. which of course is applicable to any business. Absolutely. Once you have those skills, you can you can learn the industry uh, nuances and things like that. But once you have a sales and marketing skill set, you have a skill sales and marketing skill set. That's just kind of how it works. Absolutely, because it's about people. Right. All business is about people, whether it's plumbing or digital marketing or flooring. People used to ask me, well, why did you go from working at Apple to buying a flooring business. And so I said, because 80% of all business is the same. You got people, you got to right. sell stuff, you got to provide a good service, yeah. you got to employ people. Right. And, you know, that's how we grew it from 1.8 to 3.8 million. It was just on sales. Right, right, right. So, uh, ag- again, on your list of, for entrepreneurs listening, on your list of things to learn, uh, along with the other 43 things, is <laughs> le- learn something about sales and marketing. Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, people skills with employees and customers, sales and marketing, uh, accounting, uh, banking and finance, 
those things are all universal. Absolutely. They're, 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 you don't you don't need one of the, one of those less or more in one industry or another. Those are absolutely universal. Exactly right. And so and I view the world through sales glasses. So I believe that a a heavy emphasis on sales covers a multitude of sins in the other areas. Right. Yeah. That's that's actually a great point. Uh, and and that's probably why a lot of businesses completely crater when there is a, a recession right because the good sales hides all those defaults or the, all exactly. those faults and flaws and then when the revenue isn't there to cover up all that stuff it really exposes all the all, exactly the, all the problems right. yeah that's that's a fantastic point um so along the way you've learned some things um you mentioned uh if you're gonna fail do it fast we talked about the flooring <laughs> yes. company um that, that didn't survive the 200 year floods 14 months apart yep um and you and you were trying to hang on to this thing, and you're trying to hang on to this thing, and finally your lawyer talked you out of it and said, yep. "What the heck are you thinking?" So, what do you mean by that? If you're if you're going to fail, do it fast. How how do you, if if you're looking at a situation, you know, remove that flooring store and that right. flood. How do you know when the right time to pull the trigger is on on something like that, dumping something like that that's just hemorrhaging money? Well, one of the keys is having some outside counsel to talk through your preconceived notions. Right. So you know, I I don't like to give up on stuff. If something breaks, you know, the, the first computer store I worked for uh, went out of business. I was the last guy out of there. Now, it didn't do my income any good because they didn't give me my last paycheck. Right. Uh, but having some outside counsel is really, really helpful with that. So people can give you some perspective on why are you continuing to do this, Dave? And this is what that lawyer did. I think that's the number one thing, frankly. Yeah. Because you get caught up in your own initiatives and your own plans and your own goals. You think, if I just do this, if I just do that. Right. But – it's sometimes hard to be objective. Yeah, and and uh, I always I always liken a business to a child. Um, you need somebody who's going to tell you you have an ugly baby. Right. Yes. Absolutely. And, <laughs> and I say that all the time, and and uh, I like Sadie's look on her face right now. It's it's always the same, but it's the truth. I mean, you can't have somebody who's always going to sugarcoat things and tell you how right. wonderful things are. Right. You need somebody to tell you the truth because you're you're talking sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars at stake here, or seventeen employees' jobs, livelihoods yep. on the line here. This isn't something you can you can. Um, Look through rose-colored glasses on and, and hope for a better uh, uh, result. Right. And uh, another thing I, I I again preach a lot is folks don't have a inner desire internal desire it appears to me to deal with what is. Right. They really want to deal with what they wish it was. was. Right. And they don't want to they don't want to find um, they don't want to find the mistakes and the flaws. They don't want they don't seek that stuff. They seek to find the good. Right. You need somebody to come in and say, "Yeah, this is this is not working out, bud. You need to fix it." Especially when you're an entrepreneur, because you get into it because you've got a positive attitude and you think you can do something. Right. And so, it, and that's a good thing. But like any good attribute, it has a negative side to it as well. Right. It's funny that uh, uh, that ego drives a whole lot of stuff. No, it no, does. Nobody wants to hear that they're they're making big mistakes. Yep. That's a true <laughs> story. Um, and, and you also mentioned at one point you had what, seven businesses at one time or five or something like that. It sounded like, and, yep. y- and you had, you lost your, your ability to, to really run anything effectively. It sounds like. Right. I didn't have the span of control. I didn't realize cause I am, a, I'm, if the glass is half full, I kind of look at it and, and this is a little bit of self-realization that I think we all have to have. Uh, I look at a glass half full and I say it's about 85% full. Right. So, you know, being two rose colored glasses can be a problem. That's also where the external, you know, counsel can come in as well. I just didn't have the ability to deal with things that changed that were outside of the norm in those multiple businesses at one time. If they had all been perfect, but perfection is not a earthly yeah. reality, right, right, right. Um, then it would have been fine. 
but when this went wrong, when the dry cleaning machine broke, when you know a lawsuit happened or when a flood happened, yeah, that's outside of my ability then to. There's only 24 hours in the day, even for an entrepreneur. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what the math is, um, but there is a finite number of things you can deal with that are high level, high stress, high impact right. things, and you know, I, I'm sure that varies from person to person. Right. But it's not 33; it's probably closer to three. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so if you've got, you know, five businesses running along and if you if you have a key manager that can run each one 100 percent or 98 percent or 90 percent, whatever the math is on that, um, you're probably in pretty good shape. But yeah. if you're the key person for yeah, you can't do two it. or three businesses, no. I, I don't know how you possibly can do that. No, you can't do it. And that's really one of the that's why delegation, finding the right people, probably the other key skill other than sales and in, in as being an entrepreneur is the ability to hire key people right to find and hire key people right if you can do that then you can expand your control but if right. you if you can't then yeah, yeah. you're you're doomed <laughs> yeah so that's piece of cake guys just go find the right people yeah, it's there's, there's, there's <laughs> literally seven billion people on the planet how hard could it be there's, right there's plenty of warm bodies but who is the right person for the right culture right. for the right yeah absolutely. yeah no that's that's abs you're absolutely right that is super challenging and um, so you've gone through this exercise of buying multiple businesses and it sounds like on a few of them, you got a little emotionally attached yeah. prematurely. Uh, all of them. All, all, all of them. Because okay, I believe my vision. You're batting 100% on that. Well, right. 100% because I believed what I believed. So I looked at – I bought a dry cleaner. Well, objectively speaking, it was a dumb time to buy dry cleaners, right? Because, look, you and I are sitting here. We don't have ties on. And right. you know Who has a tie? Doctors, lawyers maybe? Not even doctors really. Not anymore, yeah. Uh, not anymore. So it was a bad time to buy it. Um, and so – and I sold it to somebody who then went out of business himself – Right and never paid me, but right. you know, so the, these <laughs> kinds of things happen, and it's it's it was my own belief that my analysis was correct because I analyze things right, you know, intensely, and my analysis was correct except for the things I didn't know, which were which were like in the flood, I didn't know there was a flood coming. I right. didn't know it was possible that uh, a ten years into a hundred year cycle another flood would happen. Sure, two floods would happen. Sure, sure. Um, with the dry cleaner, what I didn't know was that, uh, and it's far enough now I think I could say this, that he kept two sets of books. He kept one set of books ah. for himself and one set for the state. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't realize he kept three sets of books. Oh, <laughs> wow. I didn't see that third set of books. I should have, you know, I should have. What was it? So I, I get, I, uh, I mean, I wouldn't do this, but yeah. I, I understand having one set of books for the government, one set of books for you. What, what's the purpose of the third set? The third set of books was for, for keep from his for, wife. I, uh, you know, it was for <laughs> something other than showing. Now me. I get it. Now I get it. Never, never. Don't you don't have to answer. I get it 100 yeah. now. Yeah, you get so one that you share with what, your wife and one that you don't. Exactly. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, cu I cut you off there. What? Well, no, that was that was really that should have. Been been a red flag to me but by that time i was so deep in the analysis of the business that it didn't occur to me that there could be multiple other things that i didn't know about how the revenue really worked in that business that right. it was really a lot tighter than you know i was told so sure you know that was a that was a learning experience as well so hold on to your own assumptions very loosely when you're buying a business yeah don't be don't think that this is a once in a lifetime deal because there is no such thing as a once in a lifetime deal it doesn't exist right you know it, it, there's always another deal down the road yeah yeah so uh, for for people who are, you know, right now, again, we're riding this wave of everybody's making tons of money and yep. everybody's employed and all that kind of stuff. Um, no doubt there's folks who are looking at purchasing businesses right now that maybe wouldn't have considered it three and a half years ago. Absolutely. Um, when you're when you're looking at a, a business to buy, and I'm just picturing, like, in my own situation, things have come up where we've considered it. Sure. I've called in CPAs, bankers, all of our trusted advisors, and I 
quite frankly, in my situation, I I doubt myself a lot. So mm-hmm. I I tend to that's a good skill, Brian. I tend to um, delegate a lot of those decisions to the experts mm-hmm. and say, before I tell you what I think, why don't you tell me what you think? Right. Uh, what I mean, I don't know how to even phrase this question, but what percentage of the decision should you make as the buyer versus the advisors you're asking to help you consult on this? Well, ultimately, I think you you really do have to believe it on every level, and you have to. So you do need to make, you know, I think eighty ninety percent of the decision, but you, but I think your methodology, what you just described, is exactly right. You have to bring in people that are. Um, naysayers that are far, far, far more conservative than you are. For instance, I have a, a CPA that I've used for 25, 30 years, and whenever I say, hey, Dan, I think I'm going to do this, you're going to go to jail, Dave. <laughs> it's like, oh, <laughs> are you sure? Well, you know, and yeah. he, he, is, he, is, you know he is my rock that grounds me to sure. you know, reality. Yeah. And so you need to have those folks. You need to bring in people that are not just going to support you, but are going to contradict you, that are going to challenge you. Right. And then... Ultimately, since you're the one that's going to sign the bottom line, you, you do have to be the one that, that takes the responsibility and realize and try to think of all the things that could go wrong. Yeah. As well as thinking about all the wonderful things that could happen because, you know, you, you buy a business because you think, oh, this can happen and that can happen. And, you know, what are all the other things that could go wrong? Right. And I, and I think in our case, um, uh, you know, we, we have great advisors. So the audience has heard Paul Long, our banker, mm-hmm. on many times. Um, next week, they're going to meet our CPA, Sean. Uh, she's a great advisor. And what I like about my team of folks that I ask for this kind of stuff is I, I just give it to them without my opinion and say, right. here's why I think it's a fit. But short of that, I don't give any grand explanations. Right. And then they come back and say, okay, here's these seven or 27 problems. Yep. How are you going to overcome those? And now I, kn- now I got my homework. So now I know what I need to go figure out versus me coming in with my grand philosophy, my grand plan. Yeah. And I have all this stuff mapped out in my mind, and I am now emotionally attached to it, and I am right. convinced that I'm, gonna, I'm the smartest guy in the yep. – you know, dog pooper scooper business or whatever it is. Yep. Um, and, and I think I c- kind of am able to prevent myself from doing that because before I even look at anything really hard, I say, right. you tell me what's wrong with this, and then I'll figure out if that's something I can fix or not. That's the right way to do it. I, I didn't do it that way in a number of situations. Had I do it, had I to do it again, I would because, right. uh, you know, y- coming with uh, losing some businesses and having some success and some failure uh, tends to ground you a little bit more and, and provide a um, – uh, a set of parameters that, you know, if I had to do it over again and I'm not looking to buy any businesses anymore, I'm happy right. with what I'm doing. Right. Uh, I would do it that way now. How, how many rental houses do you have? We have uh, four. Okay. Gotcha. Well, Usually what we did is we moved out of a house and we kept it and just rented it. So Sure. No, I, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great plan. Um, let's see here. So we also talked about uh, uh, never assume people working for you have everything in your control. We were talking about your, what do you call it, the, the something of influence or control. Oh, span of control. Span of control. Span of control. So, um, and this is something I want to spend a few minutes on because universally, uh, this is something that every person I've ever had on here so far has said this is a problem. Mm-hmm. On one hand, you got to let your folks be and right. do their jobs, and you can't be looking over their shoulder every two seconds and telling right. them how they did it wrong and Monday morning quarterbacking everything. And, and you know, one of the number one re- reasons employees leave jobs is because of quote unquote micromanaging. Yep. On the other hand, you can't take your hands off the rudder, like you said, right? And just hope for the best. How do you? I mean, is this a conscious thing you figure out what your what your involvement should be? Is it just a gut feeling? How do you go through the process of figuring out what do I really need to keep tabs on, and what do I just stay out of their way? Well, my current way of measuring this, and I'm I I modify this 
every time I have a new employee. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a new, it's always fresh. Uh, my current way of doing that is coming up with the objectives uh, together with the employee so that I'm never telling him, I need you to do this, I need you to do that. I mean, if it comes down to, you know, don't yell at customers, yeah. Right, but then right, I've right, right. the wrong person. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we come up with our objectives together, and we measure absolutely everything. So if if I have an objective that I give to you, if you're working for me, and, I s and, and we agree on this objective, you say, yeah, I can do that. And well, how long is it going to take mine? Well, I think it's going to take about so long. Do you think you can get it done maybe a little sooner? Well, yeah, I guess if I push it, I can. So we've got an objective. We've got an agreed-to objective. Right. But then measurement. Measure, measure. Anything that's important in business, you got to measure. It's just like, you know, the baseball team and the football team. You can, you know, you can tell the average shoe, shoe size of a linebacker uh, that are successful. So you look for linebackers that have those shoe sizes. So right. whatever the case is, you have an agreement with the employee, and then you have measurements that take place very regularly, not quarterly or just annually but you know weekly for for my salespeople, we have a so a without without the divulging a name of an employer and yeah. can you give me an example of something you you follow up on weekly with an employee well i have a tuesday meeting with one of my employees and uh, one of my salespeople, and we go through his entire pipeline we go through are they moving through with the expectations that he thought they would move through the pipeline or are they slower what are the issues um you know looking for coaching opportunities so right. i i treat that as a coach not as a boss so you know how can I, and i've told him i said my job here is to make you successful i kind of work for you as right. the salesperson and so we look at, at the weekly metrics. We see where they're on track, and if they're on track, we don't mess with them. Or we look for opportunities for improvement. If they're not on track with either calls, uh, maybe he's not making enough prospecting calls. Well, why is that? Why are you not making enough prospecting calls? And try to dig down to the real reason. Is it sure. physical, emotional, you know, and, and just measure each of those things. Sure. So one of the things that you said there uh, I think is, is uh, super important. Uh, you said uh, your job is there to help support them and coach them. Yes. I think one of the problems that folks who go to seminar XYZ in Las Vegas and they go to their industry seminar and they hear that, we've all heard that, you know, 473 times right. in our careers. Right. Um, people come back and they say, okay, I need to start saying I'm, I'm here to support them. I'm not here to discipline you. I'm here to coach you. I'm here to help you. I'm not here to uh, monitor you. Uh, right. you know, we change our language. But they don't change their core belief. Exactly. They change. They, 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 they program themselves to say these words in this order but they don't change fundamentally how they're approaching things. Right. And if you don't change how you're approaching things, nothing else is going to – Yeah. You know. So I use flowery words, but I'm still being a jerk when I talk to right. you. Right. Right. <laughs> well, and so coach <laughs> could mean five different things. It's like you could you could be the coach who says you're just a screw-up. Can you – you know, now I'm coaching you because I'm telling you you're screw-up. Well, no, that's not coaching. Right. How does that help the person improve? You know, getting right. outside of ourselves and saying, how can I help this person be better at their job? Because if they're better at their job, my company prospers. Right. Right. And again, I think this is where the the all uh, um, controlling ego comes into place because right. people want to be right. They don't necessarily want success. They want to be right. Exactly. And I think parsing that out and understanding my job here is to create success, not to be right. Exactly. And I'm not just saying these flowery words because Coach Smith in my Vegas seminar told me to, but I really need to display the behavior and show that I'm supporting, not right. be condemning, but then change my language. Exactly. So I just when you when you said that, I just kind of cued something for me. I wanted to make sure we we discussed that. So you're doing weekly weekly things with a salesperson, which mm -hmm. is an out, and I've said this many times. An outside salesperson, the hardest job to manage in my experience. Oh yeah, um, for sure, by far. Yeah. Um. So, but you have pre pre explained um, ex expectations, goals, all that kind of stuff, yes. and then you follow up. So when when they come in, they say, "Okay, I've made sixty three phone calls this week." Right. 
are you monitoring if they actually made the phone calls or are you just taking their word for it? Well, for the most part, I don't actually get down to the level of monitoring the phone calls for an outside salesperson. For an inside salesperson, for a telemarketer, then yeah, I would do that. For an outside salesperson, that's going to convey or that's going to bring with it a higher level of trust. And if they're not doing that, Pretty soon, I'm going to be able to tell yeah. based on the outcomes. Within six months, for yeah. sure. Yeah, you can yeah. you can definitely tell with the outcomes from right. there. Yeah. So again, so a, diff a different different uh, level of monitoring for different roles. Inside yes. sales, yeah, we're tracking phone calls because right. you literally have one job, which is making phone calls. Exactly. And outside, you listen to phone calls yeah. the whole thing. Outside salesperson, you got. 17 different jobs. Right. One of those is making phone calls. We're not going to get in the nitty-gritty on, on that. Right. Well, and, and that comes down to hiring the right person. Right. Because if it's the wrong person, even if I did get down in the nitty-gritty on that, it wouldn't make any difference. If I hire the right person and I give them the support that they need, they're going to be successful. Right. So sales is obviously something that once you understand sales, you can teach it and you can coach it and you can mentor and you can right. hold people accountable. That is something you can absolutely delegate. Yes. What, if any, things would you say – absolutely don't ever delegate. Are there any? Sure. There's choices, you know, directional strategic decisions about the company. So um, the things that we, I don't get input from everybody else, but ultimately, like if we're going to pick up a new product, uh, which we do periodically because everything's changing in, in the uh, uh, internet world all the time, uh, that comes down to me making a strategic decision about, yes, we want to be in this market right. or, um, or whether, you know, expanding the company, hiring, you know, uh, are we at a point? I'm really the only one that understands our cash flow, our profitability, all the different components that go, or how many staff we have, what, what that overhead looks like. I can't delegate that to anybody else, not at least right. at this point. Right, just like Eisenhower couldn't delegate the the D day. D day, exactly <laughs> right. Because the naval folks knew what they were doing, the infantry folks knew what they were doing, the aerial exactly. folks knew what they were doing, but you c you can't delegate that ultimate. Because right. you're the only person who has all the pieces of the puzzle. You're the only exactly. one who has the entire, st you know, hundred level, hundred thousand foot level view of things. Exactly. So those things you can't delegate. But aside from that, is there anything that you're just not willing to delegate, like financials? Do you let do you, do you delegate things where people are seeing critical financial information? I will. Uh, so what I'll do, I, I read a book years ago and, and uh, actually visited the company that did this called The Great Game of Business, where they advocated that you actually share your financials with not personal employee personal employee salaries, but actually the uh, profitability of the business, the cash flow, and teach people the cash flow and the profitability model so that they were pulling along the same way as, as we are. Right, and so that's something that I have believed and I have done a lot over the years. I'm glad you brought that up. So this uh, this is something that I've toyed with back and forth myself. I've worked for companies that did that, mm -hmm. and I've worked for companies that didn't. What do you? I mean, do, so the the benefit is obviously people all see here's a month we succeeded, here's a month right. we failed. My my concern has always been, let's say you have a month where you have three payrolls and you're not profitable that month, which right. is something you're going to encounter yep. a lot, especially yep. years one through five. Yep. Employees could panic. They could go, "Oh crap! I'm working for a. I'm working. This is a sinking ship. I need to get out." Conversely, if you're killing it, like some folks have been for the last few years, yeah. And you know, you show a bottom line number that's let's say a million dollars in profit for the year. Now you know that that forty percent that's going to the government, right? Absolutely. The employees right. don't necessarily know that, right? And the employees are saying, "Wait a second, this joker's making a million dollars, and I'm making you know seventy-five thousand or twenty-seven thousand or whatever the number is, right?" Does that not create some kind of uh, discontent? There can be a little bit, but this really comes down to when, when you engage in a program like that, what I believe you have to do first is you have to teach people 
about business. You have to teach people about profit, about gross profit, about net profit, about you know uh, weighted loads, weighted expense loads, these types of things. Once right. they understand that, and then so once they have a little bit of skin in the game, so, okay, guys, what we're going for here is we're going for a 7% net profit this quarter. Right. If we get this 7% net profit, you're going to get X from that. Right. Now, the vast majority of people who never get X from any other business that they've ever worked for are like, wow, that's great. There, you know, there can be some people that come up with the envy model, but I haven't found that to be a really big problem. I mean, even when we had a, a multi-million dollar technology business where we were, we did $100 million a year you know, when we were working for Apple, um, it, it was still wasn't a problem because we taught people beforehand how to read a P&L, how to read a cash flow statement, what a balance sheet was about, what reinvestment in the business looked like, all of those things. Interesting. One of the things I thought about doing to kind of uh, give the information that's pertinent but not to avoid that, you know, uh, spectrum of, oh, my God, we're going out of business versus yeah. you know, this guy's getting rich and I'm doing all the work. Right. Is showing the, just the top half of the P&L, just show the, gross, the stuff in the gross margin up. Because that's the only stuff that employees can affect anyway. They had no control well, over some of the I, other stuff. I don't know. I, I'll tell you. Let me tell you a, a, a two-second story about this. Yeah, of course. Well, when we had a company, this the ETI, Education Technology, Inc., uh, we had we were running this thing we called the Great Game of Business. We had all these these metrics set up. And we shared everything. We shared the top line, the bottom line. We didn't share em employee information. Right. But we, we went to the employees one time and said, hey, guys, we, our copier's dying. we got to replace, co replace the copier. And, uh, you know, the, the boss and I said this to them. And they said, well, wait a minute. Are you going to do that now? We're, we're within 1% of our, of our bonus numbers. How's that going to affect it? Well, it's going to take it down, and we probably won't hit the we'll, you know, bonus, but not as big. He said, no, no, no. We will turn the paper over. We will do all. <laughs> and so, and I was just shaking my head thinking, wow, the employees are telling us not to spend money. We're coming to them as managers and saying we want to spend money. Right. This is really working. Interesting. So yeah. they kept, they held us to a lower expense number. Wow. That's very interesting. That's great insight. I'm, I'm glad we had that, uh, that conversation there. Uh, and we're getting a little short on time. It's already it's already been forty minutes. Oh Holy wow. smokes! Um, you mentioned measuring absolutely everything of importance. Uh, one of the things again I preach is uh, don't expect anything you won't inspect. Yes. Um, and and folks say, well, you can't measure this, you can't measure that. Um, I've done exercises with folks where I say measure how many bad experiences you have per day with your customers. Sure. And they often say, well, how do you do that? And I said, why don't you start writing down every time you hear your employee tell a customer, I'm sorry. Right, absolutely. Well, there, there is nothing you can't measure. Right. I mean, if you can't measure it, it's not important. It's not a I thing, mean, yeah. I, I agree with that 100%. If you can't measure it, it is not important. Right. Um, uh, and so in, in, on previous episodes, uh, we've had folks on where we've really geeked out on process improvement mm -hmm. and, and things like that. So I, I won't go down that path. I do want to take a few minutes here because you are an IT specialist. You're yep. an IT guy. Um, I, I asked you to give us a handful of things that folks should be doing in their own businesses that so these aren't uh, running business ideas. These are specifically IT things that folks right. who have businesses should be looking out for. Um, and you've got, a, you've got quite a list here. And, <laughs> and for those who aren't scared to death, um, wake up, you should be. Yes. Um, <laughs> so you said accept the fact that someone's trying to attack your website and various other digital assets every day. Every day. They're, you know, when I talk to people about their website, I talk to them about security. And because we won't do a web work for people if we can't do something with their security, because literally every site, every day, somebody or something is trying to hack it. Now, the majority of traffic on the Internet is not humans anymore. You know, Terminator, we already right. lost. We didn't realize it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the bot traffic on the Internet is 60 to 70 percent of all Internet traffic. So, so they're trying to hammer them every day. So, you know, let me play devil's advocate. Yeah. Listen, I'm, I'm a small company. I don't even have any employees. I've got a website. I do landscaping. 
Um, you know, I have a website that my buddy helped me put together. Yep. Why would they attack my website? Because you get eyeballs, and eyeballs can be monetized. Anytime somebody can see eyeballs and get clicks, they can make that. They can turn that into money. They can reroute them from your website over to another website and display an ad for UGG boots and get a penny for displaying an ad for UGG boots. Gotcha. Okay. So it's not to say that they're going to take your website hostage and ask no. you for 38 bitcoins. Yeah, probably they're, not. They're just going to reroute your traffic to somewhere where they're going to make money on it. Absolutely. It'll probably be in there. There's gotcha. a very big, powerful site in the Ukraine that gets tens of millions of redirected hits. We know exactly where it is. I can tell you the IP address of the thing. And it's got all this. And he's making millions and millions of dollars every month. But the Ukraine's at war, so nobody goes and looks at it. Funny. <laughs> That's what you do. Uh, so and along with that, you must have on-site and off-site backup of anything that you care about. Absolutely. It, you know, I can't tell you how many businesses I come across that if I talk to them about their accounting system, they say, well, yeah, I've got this drive attached to it, and it, it backs it up. Well, what if your building burns down? Well, I guess my accounting system's gone. Right. Well, how's that going to affect your business? Yeah. Hmm, that <laughs> could be a problem. Give insurance for that? No. Give insurance <laughs> for that? Yeah, you're going to go out of business. <laughs> right. So, you know, if people need to back up. Uh, on site, they need to back up off site. They need to back up in the cloud. So every day, talk to me real quick. And again, I know we're running short on time. I don't want to get too delayed or too lengthy on any of this stuff. But talk to me about the cloud. How safe is the cloud? Well, for the most part, the big cloud services are fairly safe. Now you got to go into this realizing that there is nothing that is 100% safe. But you don't hear too much these days about iCloud or Google Drive being hacked, right. uh, or or Carbon uh, or con uh, a number of these other services. Iron Mountain or whatever. Yeah, Iron Mountain. There's <laughs> a lot of very good services, and and banks are for the most part pretty safe. It's usually when people are not paying attention, like Target or Home Depot or the federal government, yeah. <laughs> that these hacks happen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, the next few are pretty pretty much no-brainers, but we'll hit them again real quick. Uh, make sure you got unique and unguessable passwords for anything sensitive. Don't use your same password for your bank account and your Facebook account and your accounting software. Yeah, and your exactly. You know, we all have a million <laughs> passwords, Brian, right? I mean, right. we can't remember them all. Yeah. All I ask people to do is make sure that your bank account, your if you have investment accounts, they have a unique password that you change every three or four, six months at, at a minimum. So for people like me who have, I don't know, I would, I would just ballpark it at 75 different passwords I need to have. Yeah. What's the best way for me to keep that? where I can access it, but it's not likely to get stolen. Use a password. There are password storage apps. Now, you look for them on you know, the Android store, the App Store, app, uh, iTunes, mm -hmm. et cetera. So look for those and look for ones that have been around a long time and that have great ratings and store your passwords in those. Gotcha. Okay. Um, no, company, no big company ever calls to tell you you have a, a virus or malware problem. They don't do that. Um, there's all these scammer calls we get. Hey, we just yeah. discovered you have this <laughs> malware problem. They're the ones who are giving you the malware problem, I'm guessing. Is that right? Well, they're, they're actually not giving you any malware. They're just collecting $200 to do things that you don't understand that don't cause you any harm, don't but they get 200 bucks. Okay, that yeah. makes sense. Uh, Google is not the one calling me every three days to tell me that I'm not uh, I'm not ranking properly. Exactly right. Google doesn't <laughs> care how you rank. They're not going to call you up and say, yeah. hey, Brian, I'm, I'm concerned that you're not on the first page. They don't care. I, it cracks me up when I get these calls because I immediately think of, like, if I have a problem with my iPhone and I go to Apple for it, there's no customer service line to call. No, no. So, But they're going to reach out and call me and tell me I have a problem. It, just, it cracks yeah, me up. Yeah, yeah. Um, what worked in the old days is in the old days being 2017 yes. is not sufficient now because the, the, the things for requirements have changed. Um, and uh, of course, there's a ton of fads and all that kind of stuff to go along with it. So, absolutely. Um, again, we'll we'll hopefully hopefully you had a good time here, and we'll yeah, get, we'll, get, we'll, we'll get you back and we'll get it more into detail with some of this stuff. Super. I do want to start something new this week. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a shot, and I'm gonna ask you three questions. All right. And you only got 15 seconds to answer each one. 
maybe 30 seconds. But I, <laughs> I, uh, I didn't prep you for this, correct? No, you these didn't are, prep me are, for these, this. And I told you I wasn't going to prep you, you for this. You told me. You're going to surprise so me. So these are pretty simple questions. Right. But I do want you I want you to just give me your gut reaction and answer as quickly as you can. All right. What is the number one thing you would tell an entrepreneur to commit their energy to? Researching what they are going to – researching the industry that they are going to go into before committing to it, before emotionally committing to it. Okay. Same question. I've been in business for 18 months. Then I would be looking at how – I would be looking at the best ways, the best places to find people to hire because you're going to have to hire people. So find what works. Find what doesn't work. Talk to other entrepreneurs. Talk to other business owners. Say, where do you find good people? Right. Okay. Why do you think 80% of all businesses fail within the first two years? Because people get into business. We were talking about this a little bit earlier. People get into business to do the thing that they're good at. They don't get into business to file state L&I reports. They don't get into business right. to do DOR, DOR reports or to do the IRS. You know, uh, They don't get into business for compliance and all these million other things that you have to do right. to be successful in business. They get into business to do the thing they're good at, and they find out that they're not good at this other stuff. They do the best they can, but they get distracted, and, and they just can't make it work. Understood. Uh, last one. What's your definition of success? My definition of success, well, okay, so getting philosophical, it's, yes. it's about the journey. We right? talked about a bunch of nuts and bolts stuff, now we're going to get philosophical. Yeah, exactly. Up. I mean, I, for, for me, and I'm right now in my business, I'm having so much fun. We get to do stuff with people that we like. We get to uh, make money doing stuff with people that we like. Uh, we Stuff that we don't want to do, the, the businesses that we don't want to support, we don't. And so that's my definition of success, doing things that I like and making money at the same time. Right. And building a legacy that then hopefully I can pass on to my daughter later on in sure. the future. No, I think and one of the great things I hope uh, folks listening and watching can pick up from you specifically is you're very upbeat. You're very optimistic. You're, the glass half full is 85 yeah. <laughs> percent. Uh, meanwhile, you've had some very humbling failures. Oh, absolutely. Way. So, uh, you know, pick yourself up by your bootstraps and get your ass to work. Right. That's exactly <laughs> right. If you <laughs> fall down, that just means it's easier to get back up again. That's, that's right. All. That's right. Dave, uh, thanks a lot for coming in. I really appreciate Thank this. You, I, I hope you had a good time. I hope you, you consider coming back on sometime. This is sure. really, really, really good. Uh, I'm really glad you came on. Uh, again, folks, if you want to get a hold of me, brianlharding.com or email me at brian at brianlharding.com. Uh, next week, as I mentioned, we'll have my CPA, Sean Mattingly from Wine & Associates Inn. Um, we're going to talk about two of people's favorite topics, accounting and tax preparation. <laughs> so uh, 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 although it's something none of us like to talk about, it's a pretty big deal. So uh, make sure you tune in for that. And uh, thanks again, Dave. And that's thanks, all for Brian. today. I'll talk to you all next week. Oh, thank you.